0: Isn't
1: yeah, and no, It seems. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: I just said, isn't it funny how the words they pick become so popular? And I doubt if one in a thousand knows that the the pre-Russian revolutionary crowd was called the progressives. Yeah. You know, things just cycle around. You know, I was. I was thinking that's exactly what those people were back in Samuel. They were revolutionaries. The one that wanted to ditch the king, that was a coup. The one that wanted to get rid of God. Yeah. So that's nothing new, is it? No. The authorities aren't always the smartest people in the room either.
1: And And they still are desiring to get rid of the king the king of kings
0: it's the oldest
1: oldest one in the playbook isn't it uh-huh make them think that they're operating under this this great new king or this great new utopia all right well, we left off with part five on Hosea, and I am going to blast through verses six, seven, eight, and nine in fairly short order, because uh, the, the things that I would really like to spend the time on begin in uh, verse 10. But there's some pieces of information that we should know. Part five of Hosea, prophet, of the greatest love story of the ages. Here we go. We're going to read out of chapter 1 of Hosea and verse 5, verse 6 is where we left off. She conceived again and bare a daughter, and God said unto him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but will utterly take them, I will utterly take them away. All right, we'll stop there. That uh, many of you know, Bible students and so forth, uh, know that many of the Hebrew names are uh, attached to a meaning. In fact, it's very common that a name in Hebrew means something or has some significant meaning. Um, It is number 3819 in Strong's. That is the name Loh It derives from... Two uh, words, 3808, which means without or not or no, and 7355, which is Raham, R A C H A M, it means mercy, compassion, and pity. Now, Lo Ruhama could be better translated, uh, Lo R U C H A M A H, but our translators left out the C. And so it's translated in much of our English Bibles as lo-rahama, leaving out the C or the hard cut sound or the khuh sound. And uh, that simply now, you take those two words, 3808, 7355, you have lo, which means without or not. So he is without mercy. He is without compassion. He has no compassion. He has no pity, not pity, no mercy. And that is what that means. Uh, one of the other version, uh, definitions there about Rakam is uh, to love deeply, to have mercy, be compassionate. So, as I said, it is to, if, if Hosea is to name this child Lorahama, it is, means to not have compassion for, to not love deeply. And that's very important in the greatest love story of the ages. That scripture, by the way, cross-references to 2 Kings 17, verses 6 and 23. And this, by the way, is the scripture which confirms, if you will, the carrying away to Assyria, utterly being taken away is what the scripture says, utterly taken away. Hosea chapter 1 verse 7, but I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow nor by sword nor by battle, by horses nor by horsemen. This here is a cross-reference to 2 Kings 19.35. An interesting part of this particular part of the story begins a little bit earlier in 2 Kings 18 verse 6. One of the interesting things I find there is that it says that Hezekiah, the king, he claved to Yahweh. Now, he is the king of Judah. Uh, He began reigning at the age of 25, and he reigned for about 29 years. I want you to think about that, because here in America, we have these four-year terms of presidency that are sometimes extended to eight years. And I can tell you right now, there are a couple of people running that would love to reign over uh, the people here in America for 29 years. Uh, they would love nothing more than to do that. And, and, and um, uh, I would say that uh, their reign would be a reign of terror if they were to accomplish that. In verse 4 of Second Kings 18 it says that Hezekiah removed the high places, and an interesting thing that I found here was the word Nehushtan, N-E-H-U-S-H-T-A-N. I found that it is a name of contempt that was given by Hezekiah to the serpent uh, that Moses held in the wilderness. Now why is that significant? To me, I'm sorry, I apologize that sometimes I don't get things the first, fifth, or the tenth time that I read them, but I got something on this one, and I got something later that I'll share with you as well, and this one here, I had not thought very much about this, and I think it is something significant this not only being a name of contempt given to the serpent that Moses held in the wilderness, think about this. It was nearly a thousand years later at this time of Hezekiah that it was an object of worship. An object of worship. In other words, the people of that time, in Hezekiah's time, They were reverencing it, burning incense to it, and literally looking upon it as salvation that was delivered to them centuries before. And I found that very significant, and I had not caught that before. And maybe others don't, but I do. I find that really interesting. Uh, Basically, that Nehushtan that uh, Hezekiah called it meant that it was nothing but a thing of brass, nothing more, and he destroyed it. But what about this saving of Judah? And the context for that comprises chapter 18, and I didn't want to go there for the sake of time, but it's important that those who are hearing this for the first time, having some concerns or issues with what they're hearing for the first time, or those of you that are trying repeatedly over your lives and your Christian walk to share this with others, they need to understand those stories, at least the context for them and so forth. But anyhow, in chapter 18, the Assyrian king, Shalmaneser, he uh, lays tribute on Hezekiah And he goes for more tribute and actually taunts him, that being Hezekiah, at Jerusalem to to seek help from Egypt. Now, think of it in terms of today, where we would have a leader who would be seeking our demise or something and would encourage us after taunting us and telling us that, you know, our weaponry is greater than yours, and we're going to come and destroy you. We are on the move, you know, whatever the rhetoric would be. And in this case here, when you think about having that tribute and then taunting, even in the face of that tribute, where Hezekiah had literally cut off the gold door handles in order to satisfy the tribute, and then you have the Shalmaneser going for more. And when God brings a vessel of destruction against his people, as he did with Shalmaneser, um, and that vessel of destruction seeks to go beyond the commission, God will have, generally speaking, uh, throughout the biblical record, he'll have something to say about that or something to do about that. And in this case here, Hezekiah upon this taunting that to go to Egypt. In other words, go to, your, you know, to Egypt and seek help from Egypt and see what happens when you go get help from Egypt and I'm in league with Egypt or I take over Egypt as well and I crush both of you. And that's just another trying to put it in our own perspective today and looking at it through nation states and nation eyes as we look across this world and what happens with everybody wanting to take a piece from from the United States and have them be the sugar daddy for everybody while they do nothing on their own and then wonder when we say hey we've had enough Hezekiah prays in this instance and Isaiah brings word of Yahweh's um intentions and the next day we find that there is 185,000 smote by an angel of the Lord. So he had mercy upon Judah. It's very important as we continue to convey these truths because I do believe this is the most important biblical story and biblical truth. I do believe that people do not know this. I believe that those of us who have come to this understanding come to the conclusions that the biblical record conveys concerning this great love story and the relationship God has with his people Israel. There can be no escaping how you feel about that and how you wish to respond and interact with our creator from then on. So that's my take on it, and that's why I believe it's that important. But it is very important to understand that there was a clear distinction between what happened to Israel and what happened to Judah. I know you guys know this, and it's a little bit of old hat for you, but we're going to pull open some new stuff here that I think will help in our continued efforts to reach people with this truth. This house of Israel and this house of Judah, as we know, different prophets, different prophecies were sent to both of these, but, but, this is where I have stopped myself and said, this is something I have been forgetting to say. In reading what we just read, which or I should say in referring to what we would have just read had we gone to 2 Kings 18 and 2 Kings 19, as we have done in the past messages concerning the book of Hosea, we have shown the difference in the two houses, where the divisions occurred, and so forth. But there is no question, and this is where we have to put our foot down And be sure that we're making the point and driving the point whole. These are physical flesh and blood tribes and distinctions. Amen? Could we get any clearer about that? Amen. All right. So, we got an amen on that now. When she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, chapter 1, verse 8 of Hosea, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. I like to just call that Lo-Am-I, <laughs> just because it helps me remember it, because Lo-Am-I. Verse 9 That lo am I, or lo ami, equals not my people. Number 3818, again, lo means not, ami means people or nation, not my nation, not my people, not my nation Israel. You are not my people, Israel, and I will not be your God. Back again to that same question. Are these not flesh and blood people? And I think this, again, is one of those times where it helps us to be able to say to people, look, are these not flesh and blood uh, tribes, flesh and blood peoples, the house of Israel, the house of Judah? Do they understand the distinction between the two tribes? Do they understand the divisions? And at that point, there should be nobody saying, no, I don't understand it. If they are genuine and sincere, If all they're going to do is say, well, what does it matter? You say, well, let's continue the thought process, and we'll see if it doesn't matter. Because if they're not willing to do that, then it's kind of like the email I got that says, you know, um, I, I kid you not, in the email, it also said that I don't believe that Jesus was God. Now, that might come as a surprise to you that are fellowshipping here, because I don't know where that could have come from, because it seems to me that's all we talk about as as uh, um, the Redeemer being God in the flesh. So uh, it's again one of these things where somebody wants to disbelieve, disbelieve, so in the process of disbelieving, they do what the wicked do, and I'm not pointing a finger to that one and saying that one is wicked, but it is a lesson that we actually do learn from the wicked, and that is to accuse somebody of something that has no foundation or has no merit. And so in the sense that we, we sit there and say, well, how can you say that about me or how can you say that about the things that I have professed or that the messages or the fellowships that you know we've done here – and say, you know, it's it's totally out of character and it's clearly untrue. You either must not be listening or you are so blinded by your own will to believe what it is that you wish to believe that you're just not going to, you know, open your own mind to, you know, engage and actually see the truth. So...
2: Doug, isn't that the exact definition of an antichrist? It he actually says, is, and I'm
1: glad you Christ said that. Go
2: ahead. has come in the flesh. So he identified himself. He
1: absolutely did, didn't he? And what I had actually done this past week, I did not do any more study in Hosea. In fact, because of the allegation that was railed against me, I began to sit down and I have poured over scripture for the last week and a half, um, developing my, my thoughts for what will become something that perhaps I'll share here on Fellowship or I'll just put together a, a message, uh, whether it's one or two or more, it, it, there clearly is enough that it would take more than just, you know, 40 or 50 minutes. And, and this is the problem. So many that we speak to, we find are just like the world, and that is they operate off of soundbite Christianity they will not sit down and carry a thought through with you. They won't even engage in reasonable dialect with you, you know, over an email interchange, which I would prefer not to. But, you know, sometimes as tedious as it is, you know, you still try to engage it. And uh, this little soundbite Christianity that we have, uh, if if it isn't in the soundbite, then they don't want to hear about it, and they actually don't want to dig into the Scriptures. And I like what you said, Rich, because that's what I found myself doing this last week was saying, you know, it tells us, he tells us himself and says, if you do not understand that I and the Father are one, if you do not understand these things about me that I have shared with you, then you are as well an antichrist, because you do not believe that I have come. But then they say, well, wait a minute. I believe, but wait a minute, I say. If you believe, then why did you tell me that I don't believe? Because I definitely believe, and I can back up my belief in a foundation of biblical truths and biblical records. And then it all falls apart because there's just, you know, there's lack of depth there. And I don't mean to be um, disrespectful in saying that, but, you know, there is something to be learned from the scriptures that tell us that we are to show ourselves approved. And guy's I trying,
0: do are you? He's just trying to waste your time. Are you getting derogatory emails again, Doug?
1: Um, well, this was all part of the same email. So I shared that's some my, of it. That's click page.
0: That's, yeah, What's that? Right? Chris. Chris is back in town, right?
1: No. No, this is a dear sister. Don't, don't get me wrong. This is definitely a dear sister. But, um, you, sure? you know... it's just it's just frustrating sometimes because it's new it's new to somebody and the first reaction is to recoil and strike and I like what a snake
0: does to me well you know who it is then right
1: yes I do know who it is right
0: okay well, you know, uh, we're on a trip toward the truth. She's welcome to hop on, or she can get on another one, go in another direction.
1: That that's correct. And and you know what we always try to do is we try to reach out, and we try to bring that knowledge of that truth. We try it in gentle and and. Uh, you know, amicable ways in which to try to communicate it through. And uh, But as I say, if, if, if you're not even open enough to uh, what, I, what I said to you guys a couple of weeks ago is, look, don't believe what I say. Don't believe it at all. Just hear it and then determine through hearing it and your own study, whether what you heard has any validity or not. If it has no validity, then you are welcome to cast me off as the heretic. But if you're not going to at least engage certain questions that you might have, and attempt to reach for a conclusion of truth, um, you know. But if all you're going to do is just you know slash and run, slash and run, slash and run then it's obvious there's no desire and no depth of intention uh, you know, to dig into the, to the, to the unknown that you may have or whatever and so forth. So anyhow, that's just another one of those things. When Rich mentioned that, it's exactly right. And that's what I spent the last week and a half here was developing all the ways that I know that my Redeemer is God that I know my Redeemer is Yahweh. Absolutely, unequivocally know he is Yahweh. And it's one of these things that's most difficult to understand and most difficult for us to grasp. How can he be man and yet be God? But I can tell you this much. Just think about this. It was one of the things that hit me this week as well when I was thinking on that part that Rich raised is I said, you know, number one, If Christ, the Emmanuel out of Isaiah, was not God in the flesh, I don't know if you guys have considered this. If he wasn't, then God basically, Yahweh the Creator, the God of Jacob Israel, he basically required the sacrifice of his own son,
2: If he's not caught in the flesh, he's a liar.
1: Exactly. And so we would, have, we would have nothing more than just another child sacrifice. But it was not a child sacrifice. He was indeed flesh. The scripture says he was indeed flesh. He became as we are. So that we would know of a certainty that unequivocal that he was indeed a flesh and blood human being. But he was fully God. He was fully the creator. The only way the divorced woman could ever be reunited with a former bride in marriage was not if the son died. The only way you can have a new covenant is when the testator of the old covenant has died. And that is what we're going over in Hosea. Hosea is the most um, critical um, expose in my mind of the entire love story unfolded in the biblical record it is from beginning chapter 1 to end chapter 14 and I don't know whether anybody can tolerate us doing a continued Hosea study week after week after week after week as you know we only got through five chapters and it took us two and a half messages to do it two and a half fellowships because there is that much there that has to be known in order to understand what the book of Hosea is even referring to. And if you don't want to know what that book of Hosea is referring to, and you do not want to know what that prophet is, has written that about, and God has instilled and inspired in the Hosea to put these things to writing, It is nothing more than just pure religion to you. Verse 10, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, you are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, you are the sons of the living God. We could spend two hours on this verse alone. I will try to do it in less than that. And I will give you all the pieces that are necessary. Right here in verse 10, he says, yet. That word yet means although, even though, in spite of, whatever you want to put there, in spite of the fact that I said that. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea. All right, let's pull some scriptures here and let's everybody get engaged. Uh, somebody, uh, Gen- uh, Genesis thirty-two twelve. Uh, somebody hit Romans nine 1 Peter two ten. And uh, there's more. Um, who's at Gen- Genesis thirty-two twelve? Let's start with that. I am. All right. Shoot.
0: For thou didst say, "I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude."
1: All right. Let's go ahead and stop there so that we can keep it concise for time. That right there is that cross-reference that we see. It's the previous telling there in Genesis chapter 32 of what is being said here in Hosea. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 8 and chapter 9 need to be read in light of Hosea absolutely unequivocally. Romans 9, 27. I'm there, and this is what it says. Um, Uh, Isaiah also cries concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. All right, once again, these are cross-referenced scriptures that are leading the reader through the passage of time, through the history record, to what is being said here and why it is being said through Hosea at this time. First Peter 210 anybody get there all right I am at the do go too far yep I did okay first Peter 210 all right first Peter two and verse ten uh, well let's start at nine. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy." This is a physical flesh and blood people right here in the New Testament scripture is referring to as we have brought out so many points time and time and time again in the New Testament scriptures. If we would just have had teachers who would have taught us, this is a clear reference to this very thing being said in Hosea, although I said that, I mean it, he says Although the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And here we are in the New Testament, where Peter is saying, you are that chosen generation. And there are a number of cross-references. Jeremiah, I'm sorry, I could use my eyeglass again.
0: Um,
1: There are a number of cross-references. I don't even know that I should even go into what they are. But certainly they're important. I want to give them out. But we can't take the time to go through each and every one of them on every particular scriptural verse here in Hosea, um, and uh, I got. Let's see. I have Exodus nineteen five and six, Revelation one six and five ten. I have for the peculiar uh, people. Uh, excuse me. For the holy nation, for the holy nation, I have John seventeen nineteen, First Corinthians three seventeen, Second Timothy one nine. Uh, for the peculiar people, I have Deuteronomy four twenty and seven six and fourteen two and twenty six eighteen and nineteen. Also Acts twenty verse twenty eight, Ephesians. Um, oh, lost my Ephesians one fourteen. And Titus 2.14, that is all on the words or the phrase, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness. Darkness? What darkness? Haven't we heard that phrase before? Yes, we have. That is Acts 26.18, Ephesians 5.8, Colossians 1.13, 1 13. First Thessalonians 5, 4, and 5. These are all these apostles who are talking about the same people. It doesn't change people which in time past were not a people. who was not a people? Um, Hosea 1, nine and 10 and Hosea 2:23. Let's read 2:23 because that's important out of Hosea along with the scripture. We're going to get to it in time. and I will sow her unto me in the earth and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. I will say to them which were not my people, thou art my people, and they shall say, thou are my God. And what else do we have? That's it basically for First uh, uh, Peter chapter one, two, nine, and 10, which was a cross-reference uh, for us in Hosea 1, verse 10 alright now we know in fact while you're in Romans I'm gonna go back to verse 25 and 6 in chapter 9 in chapter 9 verse 25 it says as he says also in Hosea Uh, let me for context back up to verse 24 I'm in uh, Romans chapter 9 verse 24 even us whom he has called, not of the Judahites only. That word Jew there should not be Jew. It should be the Judahite, or it should at the very least be house of Judah. Even us whom he has called, not of Judah only, but also of the Gentiles. We've gone over the word Gentiles numerous times. As he said also in Hosea. I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them you are not my people, there it shall be called there shall they be called the children of the living God. Uh, Isaiah also cries concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the stand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. It's very, very important that, you know, I know that we've had this with other people in the past, and sometimes we like to say, well, you know, they just don't want to hear it. Um, but I don't believe that's true. I, I understand how we might feel that way, that that they're not being called. But I do believe the Scripture tells us also that If they had been told these things, they would repent. And I think this is where we're at in our country and our people all over the world, basically, is they're so inundated by the Antichrist, and the Antichrist is so firmly ensconced in their seats of worship, their houses of worship, their uh, centers of law and justice, that it, it has it has permeated their mind to such a degree that they are almost helpless to be able to uh, rid themselves and extricate themselves from the chains of bondage which has come upon them by this false teaching. And anyhow, so 1 Peter 1, uh, 2, 10, and so forth, there's a number of scriptures that also cross-reference there we've got john 112, 1 john three one uh, isaiah fifty six five romans eight fifteen galatians three twenty six let's go to a few of them somebody grab isaiah fifty six five i'm in romans I'll flip back to eight fifteen galatians three twenty six and second peter one four and then we'll wrap it up with first uh, john three one. I'll grab First John three one since I'm back here in Romans. I'll give Romans eight fifteen, and then somebody else can go as soon as they're ready. I'll get Second Peter. All right. Um, I I, I'm in Romans eight fifteen. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but to have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Well, whose father are we to cry unto? And if this father that we cry unto was the one who once divorced Israel, then if he's going to bring them back to them, there has to be a pathway to do that. The testator must die. Go ahead on Isaiah. Isaiah
2: 56, 5. Even unto them I will give mine house And within my walls, a place and a name better than that of the sons and of the daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that they shall not be put out.
1: Yeah, he's telling right there in Isaiah that he's going to give them an everlasting name. It says, you were not called my people. If they were called Israel, which means uh, God with us, um, let's see, Israel was, uh, um, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, uh, wrestles with God, uh, but it was more than just wrestles with God, prevails, that's the word I was looking for, prevails with God. So, or walks with God. So, if these Israelites called by that name, the husband's name, Yahweh, walks with Yahweh, then now they're going to have to be called by another name, just as, as um, uh, Rich read us out of Isaiah 56.5. Galatians 3.26, who's got it?
0: I got it. For you are all sons of God through the faith in Christ Jesus. For all yeah. of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ.
1: You know, we might as well read 329. Uh, I think it was three twenty-one or nine, or am I thinking of uh, Acts? 328.
0: If there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. I'm sure that's a mistranslation,
1: of Jew. Oh, yeah, absolutely it's a mistranslation. So, now, we're not saying, for those that you would hear this, we're not saying it's a mistranslation just because it doesn't fit with something that we're trying to tell you is truth. We're saying it's mistranslation because it uses words that we do not understand the definitions for predominantly in the Christian world. A Jew nor Greek. Simply mean no Judahite, no Judah, no Israelite, no Greek, no bond, no free. We are all one in Christ Jesus through that death, burial, and resurrection of Him, Israel being brought together with Judah, reunited under one head, one king, one leader. That's what we're saying. It's not as if we just don't agree with a translation, and so therefore, well, Shazam, just agree with this. No, it follows the biblical record. And understanding the term Gentile simply means nation, understanding that on nearly every instance translated in the New Testament, the word Jew should be either correctly translated Judah or Judean, meaning of the geographical location of Judea, And we've gone over this in number of uh, messages in the past. Go ahead, Jeremiah, Second Peter one four. I Uh, think you said. Hey
0: Doug, Doug, let me read twenty nine before we leave. Okay. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise.
1: Amen. That's what I thought was in 329, and you said 328, but we clarified what was meant. So, R- Russell gave you Galatians 326, 7, 8, and 9, and it's all contextual there, so it was great to have it all. 2 Peter 1.4, Jeremiah. 4, Yeah, 1.4. All
0: right.
2: For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent
0: promises— so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature,
1: having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Okay. Now, some might underst- not, not understand why that was a cross-reference to that scripture. Um, I don't have it open, so I would do a terrible job of paraphrasing, so I suppose I'd better go open it back up. Rich, you can expound on it if you want.
2: Uh, Which one again?
1: Second Peter one four. Otherwise, I'm going there because, like I say, if you don't read it, you don't have it in front of you. It's hard for you to remember everything that was said. So,
2: yeah, I don't have it in front of me. All
1: right, Second Peter one four. Uh, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. All right. And why is that there? It's there because I'm going to look at two cross-references here, is that when we partake of the divine nature of Christ... Our partaking of him in the process of repentance and baptism is that we have clothed ourselves in his righteousness. We have taken on that nature that he has given us to take on, that we would be free from that corruption and would walk and do with Christ. And what was the corruption that we had? We were cast off as Israelites. If we all knew which of us were Judah and which of us were Israelites, then one would say uh, us as Judah being brought back with him or Israel as being brought back with him, bound together, even though one was divorced and one was not. That is the corruption that we had. We had a corruption that took us away, just as it did in the garden. It took Adam and Eve away from God, their fellowship with him they were destined for a different relationship. They had meant that relationship had changed, and this is the same thing that we see that is changing with his relationship with his bride, Israel, the house of Judah and the house of Israel. 1 John uh, 3, one was a little nugget that I got that I hadn't thought very much uh, before about it, It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. And that just goes right to what Rich was saying earlier, that if you deny the Son, the flesh and blood Son of Yahweh the Creator, and you deny that the son, the, that flesh and blood son, was the nature of God himself because there can be no reuniting the house of Israel and the house of Judah under a new husband unless the former husband be dead. God said, I will abide by the law, the law of marriage. We'll get to that in a little bit here. Um, I don't want to get ahead of myself here Um, in my thoughts that are taking off with me. All right, so now, actually, that's about where I was going to go. Uh, A couple of you go to Deuteronomy chapter 29. I'll set somebody up on 10 to 13 and somebody up on 14 to 15. And... um, then we'll go to Deuteronomy. Uh, I thought, yeah, Deuteronomy twenty-nine. Yeah, it is okay. All right, it's all in Deuteronomy twenty-nine. So, if somebody want to go to Deuteronomy twenty-nine? We're going to take a little walk back through history here because that's about where my thoughts were taking me, and it looks like in my notes that's about where I want to go. Uh, so we're going to take a little brief uh, historical walk through the history then. Um, Deuteronomy chapter twenty nine ten thirteen. Who's there? I've got that. All right. I you stand so- this. You stand this day, all of you, before the Lord your God, your captains of your tribes, your elders, and your officers, with all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and thy stranger that is in thy camp, from the hewer of thy wood unto the drawer of thy water, that thou <clears throat> should us enter into covenant with the Lord thy God and into his oath, which the Lord thy God maketh with thee this day, that he may establish thee today for a people unto himself, and that he may be unto thee a God as he hath said unto thee, and as he hath sworn unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. All right, we'll stop there just briefly. But very, very important for us to understand this is this covenant that was made with Israel. We can go back to the Mount Sinai uh, experience where the words were brought from God to the people. The people said, all that you've said we will do. But right here, Moses is basically saying, you know, you stand here this day, all of you, you know, before the God of our Father, your captains, your tribes, your elders, your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, a stranger in your camp, that you should enter into that covenant with the Lord and into that oath which he made. Now, somebody go with 14 to 18 there. Actually, we can probably quit at, let's just do 14 and 15. Uh, go ahead, Isaac. Now, or, Russell,
0: go. Now, not with you alone am I making this covenant and this oath, but both with those who stand here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God and with those who are not with us here today.
1: All right. And the reason I had to stop here, this is something that I believe that we have not recognized I don't believe I ever heard any pastor that I know of that had ever conveyed what is right here in these two verses. And I missed it for a number of years. And maybe Rich could correct me. Maybe he heard it somewhere. But think of what is being said here. He says, neither with you only do I make this covenant and this oath. Okay, I think we need to pay attention here, don't we? Because he said, I'm not making this covenant with just you that are here today. So, I might want to have my ears perked up and say, gee, who is he going to make it with, if not with just these here today? And he tells us right in 15, but he says, but with him that stands here with us this day before the Lord our God, and also with him that is not here with us this day isn't that an important piece you understand what i'm saying about how i believe we have missed the criticalness of that particular piece yep yeah i've never noticed that one before either I am so glad to hear you say that because I didn't either, and when I was cross-referenced back to that from where we were in those scriptures uh, that Hosea one ten led us to, and I went back and started to read that in Deuteronomy 29, 4.15, it, it's just like you, you just, I have heard other people do messages, I have heard Pastor Peter's. I've heard him, you know, convey things that he's conveyed from Hosea, but I never had this one here in Deuteronomy chapter twenty nine, fifteen jump out at me and smack me upside the head the way it did here a few weeks ago. Neither with you only and do I, on I this make posterity. Exactly, but with him that stands here with us this day. And also with him that is not here with us this day. Well then what does that mean? You see posterity. Yes, that's exactly right. And you know what? That cross references us to Jeremiah chapter thirty-one, verses thirty one to thirty three, and somebody grab Hebrews chapter eight, seven to eight. Because That is how important it is. He says, I have not just made this covenant today with these that are here. I have made it, and as I say, the scripture cross-references us to Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 33. I'm going to go there now. Jeremiah, the whole book of Jeremiah, is a prophecy Or it conveys, basically, the everlasting love that Yahweh has with the whole house of Israel. And the whole chapter needs to be read for the proper context, but I can't take the time that we just go through the whole chapter of 31. We'll read that on our own, and we'll come back to the table next week or something with anything additional that we glean from it. But... You know he is weeping through Jeremiah for the wife of his youth. he's thinking back at the time when he had them for forty years in the wilderness, and he took care of every single need that they had and I got to tell you, men, when you know that you have taken care of a wife's every need and for all the supplications of her desires and so forth and you you've got to feel this same love that God had he you know and his weeping for her when she turns so we can't go to the whole thing but we were cross referenced to chapter 31 verses 34 and I know that all of us here fellowshipping know this very well But when we get these, that's why I'm trying to get us to actually cross-reference people to it and take them. We cannot read this Bible the way that people want to read the Bible and how it's been for so many years. Verse 31 of chapter 31, Jeremiah. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about in Deuteronomy uh, 29.15, he's talking about a people, somebody that this covenant was going to made, be made with, not only with those there, but somewhere else with them also. And where did it take us? takes us to these people where there's going to be a new covenant. God already knew in his infinite wisdom what was going to happen. He already knew in his infinite wisdom how he was going to redeem them and buy them back. 31, the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband unto them, says the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts, and I write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now that right there is another tool that we have with these people. If God says he is going to write the law on their heart, is it not a law covenant? Oh, it most certainly is. It most certainly is. If he's going to make this new covenant, if this is if he made this covenant there in Deuteronomy 29:15 with those that are referenced And cross-referenced in that scripture to Jeremiah 31, 34, and that's a new covenant that's going to cross-reference us to Hebrews 8, 7, and 8, which we're going to go to. If he is making that covenant with those people, and he says he's going to write their law upon their hearts, then it's a law covenant, ladies and gentlemen. No two ways about it. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts, write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Hebrews 8, 7 and 8, who's got it? Hebrews, I am in 5, I'm in 7, I am there. And it says, for if the first covenant, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then should there be no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And I had 8, 7 to 8 as the cross-reference there. So once again, Hosea one ten is telling us those same people in Deuteronomy chapter 29 are the same people in Jeremiah thirty one thirty four. And are the same people in the New Testament Hebrews, book of, uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, the same people. These are a flesh and blood physical people known as the house of Israel and the house of Judah. There is no escaping it. There is no denying it. We cannot let people get away with it anymore. It is time for those of us who are grounded in this truth to continue to pound this truth so that those that God is calling will actually have the words of truth. Now, some might say, well, Doug, it says, it says in you're not going to have to teach this anymore. They will know me from the latest, greatest to the least, so either they know me or they don't. They either know him or they don't, Doug. And you know, I don't really have a strong argument to put up against that. The only argument that I've given in the past is that the scripture tells us that if my people had been taught my ways and my laws, they would have repented and turned from their ways. And that is the story of this love story. His people were not taught, even though the prophets came and attempted to teach. The leaders, the elders, who were supposed to, did not. So, so that's my only answer. Two.
0: Is the blood hands?
1: Uh, say again, Russell.
0: That is the blood on their hands
1: yeah that's a good point because that would probably be the best answer uh you probably raised it is that we are told that we are supposed to, if we see the sword coming which is the wickedness if we see that um the the hand of um well um, what we want to call it the hand of correction if we see the rod of correction coming or if we see uh, the sword coming, which is um, wickedness and so forth, and we don't give them warning about it, then the blood is required at our hand. So this is the reason why that we proclaim it, because we know these principles of God. It is something that we are supposed to do. It is something that we are told and admonished and instruct. Because we ourselves don't want to fall because we have been led away by someone who has you know told us something different or told us that, you know uh, this God of creation is, you know, some some mythical you know idea or something. So yeah, I, I think that's a very good foundation to to base it off of as well. So the promise of the new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Judah, named specifically Not according to that which was made with the fathers, which is a direct relationship. He keeps putting little nuggets and little clues in there that says, hey, if I'm going to tell you it's a new covenant, not according to something else, and he tells you, by those that I led by the hand out of Egypt, it's telling you those people are one and the same. A new covenant written on our hearts, Hebrews 8, 7, and 8. We just went over it. We can't, as I say, we've got to get this down. Now, there's some very important cross-references here as well with the house of Israel and the house of Judah here at Hebrews 8, 7, and 8.
0: Um,
1: As I said, read on our own, Jeremiah, all of Jeremiah 31, but not only Jeremiah 31, but Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37 is fundamentally related. And is a critical piece. I have uh, Micah chapter five, verse eight, and John ten, and verses fourteen to sixteen. But getting this down because we really can't any any longer connect. Let anybody connect themselves with this quote Judeo Christian connotation, because if you love them, just as Rich said earlier, he said if you don't know me, then you're not mine. If you do not confess that I am he, you are not mine. And if they are connecting themselves in this quote Judeo-Christian connotation, if you love them, they're wrong. God makes us... Huh? Huh?
2: His sheep know his voice.
1: Amen. He makes a Yahweh makes a specific point of recording in his word the two house distinctions of his people, the reuniting of those two house distinctions, and so should we. That's why it matters. <laughs> If Judeo means Jew-Christian relationship, then no, we want no part of it. This scripture in Hosea eight seven to eight cross references us to guess where Acts two thirty nine and 1 Corinthians seven fourteen. Let's go to both of them. Acts two thirty eight. Um you know you almost got to get back into 2 to get the context of this but remember this is where Peter addresses the crowd he tells him in in 2 um 2:14 you men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem then dropping down to 22 you men of Israel hear these words um flipping over Uh, Verse 36 of chapter 2, Acts. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter, Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And isn't that just exactly what Deuteronomy 29.15 said? Yep. Absolutely. 1
0: Corinthians
1: 7.14. All right, I'm there. Uh, For the unbelieving husband, this is so important. Paul's teaching on marriage. Remember, you guys, a few weeks ago, I told you I was going to give you something out of Numbers 30 that came to me by the giving of the Lord, I believe as well, that I had not seen again as well on that particular subject. But Paul is talking here about marriage. Now, people will have the tendency to read through this scripture in, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 7 and just think, this is just Paul talking about marriage relationships in general, la-di-da, la-di-da, but there's so much more here. This is what is really conveyed, 7.14 is the specific one, but let's just go, um, I think, for context Um, Oh, I'm not even going to go into it because it's too... The woman which has a husband, we're starting at 7.13. This is very important. And the woman which has a husband that believes not... I have not seen this before. Let me share with you what I was going to share with you. And the woman which has a husband that believes not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband else were your children unclean but now they are holy now this is the thing that i was led to in my own understanding we read this and we say okay i get it yeah if the if two people are joined in marriage already and they come you know, one of them comes to be a Christian and the other one doesn't, is that he's he's conveying to them, stay, because the one can sanctify the other. And it finally hit me. If God divorced Israel, did he not, how do I want to put this? Was he not a sanctifying force before the divorce? That's probably the way I should put it. Was not Yahweh? Was he not the force of sanctification for his unbelieving, unfaithful wife? And I'd never made that connection before. He pleaded with her to come back to him. He pleaded with her and said, just repent. He did all the things that he did until he finally had enough, and he did exactly what the law commanded him to do, and that was to divorce. Peter's addressing, as we saw in Acts, now as we see Paul in Corinthians, He's showing us really something that is more profound than I ever saw, and that is that God was sanctifying Israel in her unbelief. He remained with her, and he remained with her, and he remained with her, and he remained with her, and, he with her, and pleaded and pleaded with the most compassion and loving appeals yeah
0: it's sort of like, sort of like walking down a bad street with a protection like a gun you know or an umbrella over the whole nation uh, so it's it's sort of like a, an insurance policy. Or just protection, I guess, is the best word.
1: Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> when you think about Peter in, first, uh, in uh, Acts 2.38, you see, when he says, when they say, what shall we do? What news or what information have they just received? That that's a, a critical piece to to us what news and what piece of information had they it's almost like us right now that we say to people today is that there's more to this than this and that's what Peter was saying repent it, it was it was the most profound news and information that they had ever received Israelites and Judeans of Judah dwelling at Jerusalem had just crucified Christ. And we, as his people, crucify him daily when we continue to operate outside of his will, outside of his commission, outside of the command, outside of the laws given for us. They could repent, he said, and be baptized and brought back into the covenant. And that's what I see that we're missing here is that we can repent, we can be brought back understanding this news just the way they were in that day when he says to them, you and your children and all that are far off. It was the greatest piece of information. They're unequivocally Israelites which are to repent, be baptized in the name of Christ. And how can the church world remain ignorant and teach that these are just spiritualized Gentiles or a spiritualized church? It's unfathomable. He says that scripture in 239, by the way, it cross-references where it talks about to your children, it cross-references to 325 of Acts, and this is what it says. You are the children of the prophets. You are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers. See, that's why it's so aggravating when we have somebody say, what does it matter? Are you kidding me? What does it matter? Peter in Acts 3.25 says you are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers saying unto Abraham and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. This is that gospel message of the news of God's re-covenanting, remarrying because of the death of Yahweh. You
0: know, Doug, it's like... Your name's on the contract.
1: Your name's on the contract. You are a recipient. You are a recipient. Even though the testator died, he had the foresight to write you into a New Testament of the future. And that same New Testament and New Covenant of the future was with himself, because I guarantee you, unless the testator be dead, unless the husband be dead, she is not free from the law to be remarried or reunited with another, certainly not reunited with her former husband in marriage, because that would defile the land. We go all the way back to Deuteronomy again to read that. This mishmash of churchianity that we have today, it cannot be as productive as the simple message that Peter conveyed here that caused 3,000 souls to repent and be baptized. That was the information they were given. That was the information that they had. And that is why it is so important that we continue to not be beaten down by those that want to beat us down and tell us it doesn't matter. They don't see how it matters. I hope that what we've done here in just, you know, we could quit with Hosea chapter 1 right here. I think there's one more verse in Hosea. Um, uh, Hosea 1. No, yeah. Uh, No, we we did 11. Yeah, so we could quit right here. We have enough right here to have already showed anybody, anybody with ears to hear and eyes to see this greatest love story of the ages unfolding right before our eyes. When we go back to 239, to all that are far off. That cross references. I know it's just approaching the hour, but I'm going to hit you with a whole host of these. And if we want to start with them next week, we can. But it it cross references to um, Acts chapter 10, 45, 11, 15, 18. Excuse me. I'll say that again so it's more clear. Acts ten, forty-five, Acts eleven, fifteen and eighteen, Acts fourteen, twenty-seven, Acts fifteen, thirty-eight, or excuse me, Acts fifteen, three, eight, and fourteen, and also to Galatians three fourteen. That the blessings of Abraham might come upon. The Gentiles, which means nations. In fact, in the Greek, it's goyim, through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Gentiles in Hebrew, usually in the plural, is goyim. And at all times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, simply means people or nations, not non-Jews as we've repeated so many times. If you will take your Bible, don't take my word for it, look up the word Gentile in a Greek concordance and a Hebrew concordance, and you will find, yes, sometimes they say it refers to heathen. Well, what was Israel if not heathen? But it does not simply mean Non Jew. You might have to be careful what you're cross referencing in with some of the new translations again, but as I say, Hebrew, usually in plural, is Goyim, G O Y I M, and at all times in the Old Testament and the New Testament simply means people. So, in other words, you'd read Gentiles, the people, Gentiles, the nations not non-Jews, as we have heard from the pulpits repeatedly. So that, my friend, was two nuggets, and I didn't even get to Numbers 30 yet. Somebody's going to have to remind me to bring that out. But that the, those three things, just in this study at Hosea, I felt real... Um, real gifts, real nuggets. That one in 29, Deuteronomy 29, and um, I forget what the other one was now already, but uh, uh, I guess I'm just not thinking of trying to get my mind going toward closing out here, but um, very, 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 very insightful to me, very um encouraging for me as I continue to talk to people about it to be able to share that verse in 29:15 uh it was just just praise yahweh for having having given it to me because as I said I never heard Pastor Peters that I could recall and that's not saying that somebody has never brought it out I just hadn't heard it and I just hadn't I hadn't even marked it in my bible but it is marked there now I guarantee it and um uh, so, anyhow, that's part five of Hosea, prophet, to the greatest love story of the ages.
0: Well, I think we could safely call it the love story.
1: Yeah, it is the love story of the ages.
0: Uh-huh. Well, I'd like to thank God for taking care for being with each one of us and especially myself as I'm a witness. One of my knees was really giving me fits. And I I thought, man, am I ever going to be able to walk again without pain? And lo and behold, I think the Lord restored my health because I asked him to. Today, I I was able to walk several miles and nothing like it had been before, so I'd like to thank you, God, for that, and that's my thank you prayer tonight for that, as well as the ability to meet together and pursue your will father thank you for that privilege it is a privilege we're not guaranteed and lord we know all things can change instantly we know that so we're very thankful for what we have now we don't take it for granted we thank you for it again lord we say thank you
1: Jesus, Amen. in your holy name. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I do also give thanks and praise and glory to you for for the honor and the privilege that you give us to be called your sons. Father, I do pray for health as well. Um, Father, we know a dear sister that has been battling something that we we trust and we count on your protection that it not be this latest virus that has come from the East, Father. And we're just uh, continuing to pray for her. Pray that everybody keep Roxanne in your prayers and that he continue to work in her body to take this away. It is something that she has not felt at all before. It is uh, it is next to, um, as it's being described, it's next it's it's so severe that it makes you wish that you were no longer amongst the living, and our prayers have been that it is not it is just a severe, severe um, virus, and that as I got a text before we went on the air here that. She is doing remarkably better than she was yesterday, so I'm going to continue to keep that in prayer, asking that you, Father, will continue to hedge her about with a thorn of protection and to reach in and touch every cell structure in the body that is necessary to be uh, taken and dealt with to rid this body of the virus. And, Father, for all of your people, wherever they are, that are being plagued with this, we pray, Father, for your protection around them. Let it not come anywhere near them. And those that have happened to get onto it, Father, let them be a speedy recovery that it confound the the people, the doctors and the physicians, that they be just confounded in their shoes not knowing how to answer it. Because, Father, in this day, there's no doubt in my mind that we need your protection more than ever because we have no idea what kind of biologics and biological agents and so forth that have been tampered with and have been concocted because they love, they love to control humanity and they love to reject you. So, Father, I pray for massive, massive protection. Father, I pray for Jason. I pray, Father, that people will go to his Buffalo Bartlett uh, site and um, contribute so that he has needed resources and funds to carry on his journey. Father, he was slowed down in Tennessee. I know that the terrain is plaguing him, and I pray for his health and his divine protection as he continues on in his journey. And if to reach Washington, D.C., in hopes that the elders of Israel in Washington, D.C., will actually have something to say about the genocide that's happening in another country, and specifically withholding hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that is going to a country that continues to practice this um, while, they, while they claim to be um, racially not uh, uh, motivated. So, Father, those are my prayers. I pray these things in the blessed holy name of your Son, thanking you for the answer to these prayers, lifting all these men up and their wives and their families as well. Amen. Amen.
2: Can We turn this plague back on those that created it. Lord God, let that plague come to the doors of those people that are about to kill, steal, and destroy. Lord, they have no protection against you. Just turn it right back on them. Let their wives be widows. Let their children be orphans. Let them beg in the streets and be no more. Let the genocide that's meant for us be put back on them. Let the plagues hit their doors. Take their firstborn, take them all. Lord God, those that hate you and hate us, let your wrath fall down upon them. In the name of our King Jesus. Protect and heal our own people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. All right, brethren. Good uh, being with you. I hope it was enjoyable. And and, uh, we'll see you all here next week.
2: Good night, guys. All
1: All right, right. Good night. Good night.